Thank you for joining us for IEB There. And now your host, Brad Behrens. Over to you, Brad. Hi, everybody. Welcome to IAB There. This is the Interactive Advertising Bureau's daily live stream where we're connecting the you, the, our community, to the people and the issues that matter most. Uh, my name is Brad Behrens. I'm the Editor-in-Chief here at the IAB. Today, I'm very proud to be joined by Jordan Mitchell and Michael Palmer. Jordan is the SVP of Data, Identity, and Privacy at the IAB Tech Lab. Michael is the Global VP of Emerging Technologies, Emerging Platforms. Which one is that, Michael? Emerging, Emerging Technologies uh, at Group M, that, that tiny little agency that uh, we've all heard of. Uh, we will be, uh, Michael's coming to us from New York. Jordan is coming, beaming to us from uh, the, the Alps, I believe, uh, with if the background <laughs> that he's sharing has anything it, uh, to say. It's the to Himalayas say. in uh, Kirkland, Washington. Okay, well, perhaps the abominable snowman uh, will join us at some key moment. The um, hashtag that we use here for questions, which we're going to hope that people will be asking shortly, is uh, all caps, one word, I be there, which is the name of this program. So uh, we have our team uh, behind the scenes at IAB who are going to be surfacing those things on Twitter. So if you want to engage, if you have a question, comment, concern, uh, want to you know, give us a raspberry, uh, then again, please please tweet to us and use the hashtag IAB. <clears throat> Pardon me. I need to be able to say it out loud all at once. IAB there. So uh, gentlemen, thank you both for coming. Here's our topic today, which is uh, Project REARC, uh, which is the mm -hmm. internal name for something that was precipitated by, uh, in some ways, a blog post on the Chromium blog by Google uh, in January. And so what I'm going to ask Jordan, if you can give us the, what was that blog post about? And then we'll go to both of you about how that sort of coalesced a bunch of energies and the prehistory uh, of what it means. The shortest version is that the cookie, which is the tiny little piece of technology that most of the internet advertising ecosystem was built on, uh, is, uh, or at least some mm -hmm. parts of it, are going away. So Jordan, walk us through, what was the, the, the blog post heard around the world coming from January and uh, what, what's been happening since then, please? Well, it was basically, it wasn't the nail in the coffin. It was, here's the coffin and here's the nails. And inside of two years, this thing is going down and, and, and all the third-party cookies are being deprecated. And this wasn't, uh, and, and, and the coffin and the nails have been being prepped for some time. Uh, what made this most important was uh, because uh, by then, uh, Safari um, had already deprecated third-party cookie support. And then I believe at the end of August and first part of September, Firefox had done the same. Uh, so where, whereas they had just uh, abruptly turned it off and made their changes, uh, Chrome's approach was a little different. It announced a two-year time, time frame in which, uh, in which the industry was to prepare for, for this. And it was important because they have, uh, based on the site or the geography, somewhere around 60% browser share. So it's sort of the last big uh, um, announcement around the end of third-party cookies. Okay, so just let me, uh, my job today for the folks watching at home is to be the idiot in the room who doesn't understand any of this. And, 
And so deprecated in this case means they're turning them off. That's right. That's right. And there are no other mechanisms for recognition of consumers in, um, in, in W3 standards and, and HTTP. Um, it is the standard by which we distinguish one user from another. And many first parties use third parties uh, to uh, create conveniences and personalized services online, personalized content, personalized advertising, even shopping carts can be uh, can used for advertising and non-advertising use cases. So when you turn off a component for what's now a huge supply chain of, of vendors working on behalf of you know either buyers or sellers and all different components of of the advertising ecosystem, it affects a lot of different parties at once. So Michael, I think the, this sounds like you know, basically an end of days scenario for a lot of the internet as we know it today. Can you can you play this out for me? Like, what does this mean for somebody shopping online today? For someone who's you know reading uh, you know a news account today? Like, how is if we were to fast forward and and do nothing, uh, you know, make no changes at all? And in January of 2022, all of a sudden, Google were to turn off third-party cookie support as Firefox did, as Safari did. What would happen if we did nothing? First of all, like it's not gonna be all of a sudden. Effectively, what like the January announcement was for the industry was sort of like Google linking the lights at intermission at a concert, telling everybody, you know, the curtain's gonna go up everybody should start getting back to their seats. So like they, they're, what, they're, what Google's doing is actually very, very thoughtful, very responsible. And they're, they're giving us- uh, I agree. It's a strong indication of where they're going. They have done a lot of thinking. They, they're having, uh, they've had and are continuing to have ongoing conversations with the entire industry. So, and the other thing is making it sound like it's gonna be an absolute catastrophe really isn't. If you wanna see, if we were to do nothing and not uh, not come up with an alternative uh, set of identifier solutions when we lose the third-party cookie identifiers. The internet in the future might look a lot like the internet did in the past. And that is, we've mm-hmm. not only had our audience targeting, audience targeting actually came in uh, in the last decade and a half. In the early internet, we did a lot of what advertising has done in other streams of media for decades, which is we, we, we target on, on demos, uh, on panels, and on context. And that's where we as, as Group M and our agencies would be falling back into for our clients. Uh, and we, we still do this alongside of audience targeting even today. It's not like we, it's not an on-off switch. However, what that would mean for our, our customers and for, and for the users uh, who are viewing the ads and also the publishers that are making uh, the media that we are we are running ads to support would actually be a uh, a, a worse experience for all three parties uh, for the for our clients. And, uh, sorry, and the three so parties are your clients, 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 brands for us. Uh, then we have the publishers and we have the users, which are the visitors to the either users of an app or visitors to a website or viewers of a video. And so we'll go, I'll walk through it. Um, We'll go through it from the user's point on up. So what I'll do is from the user's point of view, they will see more ads and those ads will be less well uh, targeted to them. 
Um, so in the old internet, um, I love that term, uh, you know, yeah. in the early days of the internet, for some people that remember it, um, I would get a ton of tampon ads, right? Like you would, you would get, you would get advertisement that just wouldn't fit you. Um, uh, I live in Manhattan. I don't own a car. I shouldn't be getting car insurance ads. Like these are, this is a classic case that, that really hurts the user's experience, um, in the media. Okay. Because it hurts the user experience, it also means- Hold on. I, I, let me push back. Yeah. I think it hurts the publisher's experience, but like, does it hurt, really hurt? I doesn't, I'm not injured by seeing tampon ads. I, I, I have, I live well, with adult women. Or ads. Would you like to view, if you want to get the same quality of media, right? You prefer to view fewer ads and ones that might actually, you know, market a product or service to you, that you might actually be interested in buying, correct? Uh, I think, so in my research life, I think by and large people are indifferent to ads most of the time until there's something that interests them, at which point they tend to regard those ads as content anyway. I, this, and I'm not, uh, and this is not, uh, I think this is not terribly germane. Uh, I'm just, I'm curious about the, whether or not the value proposition of targeted ads, you're, I think you're, you might be presuming that consumers care more than they actually do. I think publishers. And, and Brad, I, I would, I would point out that this is kind of basic to Project Rearch, you know, privacy and personalization and harmonizing those, because for you, uh, you may be okay with certain level of irrelevant ads. I, I tend to prefer to see uh, the, some of the retargeted ads, you know, and every every one of us as consumers are going to have different preferences. And we're going to sit in different levels of the continuum of 100% privacy. I don't want anybody tracking anything I'm doing with 100% of conveniences. Give me all the conveniences. Give me all the personalization at all. And everyone's going to fit in different areas of that. And they should. They should be able to self-select uh, so, on so that. Let, yeah, let's, let's just revisit those. So, but what I, I will maintain, though, is that if you can run – uh, more effective ads, you have to run fewer of them. And for a publisher, that means a better, um, a better quality, generally a better quality of user experience on their media. Uh, would you argue with that? 100%. I, I wouldn't argue with that. I think that insofar, I think one of the challenges is conveying that that's the transaction to the end user who yeah. often is not aware mm -hmm. uh, that, about these things, which is why we have a resurgence or a resurgence of people using ad blockers, for yeah. example. And I, I, would, I would submit that, uh, Jordan, I think you'll agree on this. I think part of uh, some, of the, some of what we're exploring reARC is actually how to, better, you know, how to better illustrate that to the end users and themselves. Like the ad-driven internet um, and the ad-driven uh, video streams in general are a way of consuming media, but that media actually, um, high quality media uh, needs needs to be supported. And there are subscription models and then there is the ad-driven model. And so if yeah. you, you know, and I think that is something that we as an industry, and that's all the way from, from brands all the way over to the publishers, I think we have to work as a group to kind of make that more um, acknowledged, I guess, on the end user's point, if that makes sense. You know, many yeah, years I ago, I just let me interrupt for one moment, Jordan. Just many years Please. ago, a really remarkable small study by the Points North group uh, was arguing, was sort of did some analysis about people's willingness to get 
MP3s and you know this is back when MP3s and buying them were a thing. And there were mm-hmm. there were ad supported MP3s and then there were full cost no ad MP3s. And the implication, uh, the sort of the, the clear finding of the study was that people preferred to get a discount. Uh, what I thought the the important insight from the study was quite quite different, which was that what that study had done was to foreground the transactional quality of advertisement for time in in the eyes of the survey respondents. And when you highlighted the advertising uh, exchange, you know, some of your time for a discount on your MP3, the people were delighted to save 20 cents. They understood that they were engaging in a transaction, whereas um, ordinarily there's no there's no choice about the matter. Uh, it's simply this is this is what happens. And so it sounds to me like uh, that tiny study from many years ago is writ large in what what REARC is trying to do. In part, Jordan, fair. We absolutely do have. Uh, an opportunity to engage with the consumer uh, and specifically tie uh, the provision of of free content and services with how it's being funded and being funded responsibly. Um, I think within news circles specifically, like you can't generate quality news if you don't have the funding to pay for really good uh, reporters and sourcing of, of, of news. And so I, I do think that we are seeing uh, the news organizations being more uh, innovative, innovative around um, how they're funding the, the content, what they're asking of the consumer. Uh, and I think we, we, can do, we can do more. For example, we're seeing a lot more news organizations ask for uh, an email or a subscription or a login of some sort. Uh, and I and I and this has been in the last two years. Like it, it's it's been more and more. Uh, we've all seen data on uh, the pay, payment models um, on uh, a paywall, and uh, and and the appetite for consumers to engage in that type of funding. It's it's um, you know I think there's some uh, conclusions there, but you know. This is where we're going. We're seeing more of more of this ask from the news organizations for uh, for the consumer to willingly provide something uh, to them that uh, that allows them, and they're using that to monetize uh, to fund their operations more clearly. And I, I just want to point, connect this to uh, our episode on Tuesday of last week, which is that our president of the IAB, David Cohen, had an op-ed in Business Insider, uh, really a kind of clarion call to advertisers, agencies, and brands, please fund the news. Please stop blocking the news. Yeah. Uh, we'll be talking about that some more on Wednesday. And very, so, very important. Uh, this fits into that as well. Before we move on or move back into some of the, the, the issues, I, I do want to ask Michael, um, you know, it sounds to me like, you know, Apple and Firefox kind of just did it and that Google had a more thoughtful approach to how it was going to be working with the entire ecosystem in announcing this. And I think you were very good to correct me that, uh, the, you know, and to point out that Google was acting as a good citizen. Just can you clarify, like, what, what who, who did this first? Like, where did this all start so that it all coalesced in January with this post on the Chromium blog. 
some dangerous questions you're asking somebody who's an undergraduate in history. So I'm going to try and keep it short. So, I, I have a, I, 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 I'm there with you, but I'll control I'm myself to too. Identify our problem actually goes all the way back to the first browser wars in the late 90s, um, Netscape Navigator and, and, um, and Explorer. Uh, basically competed against each other and didn't agree on a standard way of handling identity. Um, so what they leveraged instead was the original cookie environment, which was originally built really to, uh, con uh, to allow you to access uh, contents of your shopping cart if you were disconnected you know, on dial-up. Um, so fast forward, uh, obviously the days of Net Netscape Navigator and Explorer as dominant browsers are just a few years behind us. But one of the one of the later or surprise re-entrants into the uh, ecosystem was really Apple. Uh, with the rise of uh, Apple um, into the global superpower and, and you know fantastic brand that it is, uh, they when they started building uh, their OS X operating system, their iOS operating system, and the Safari browser that run on them, um, Apple very early as part of their their kind of their premium brand strategy. Uh, got control of that vertical garden and very quickly started setting their own privacy policies. And they've always been tight and they've always led the industry on this, on how restricted they are with sharing data. Um, and so Jordan, you can also speak to this. We've seen the other browsers and other operating systems in the last 15 years, Jordan, I guess I would give it, kind of tracking behind where Apple is going on this. So Apple really... Uh, I would put them as like kind of the 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 leader on on where things have been going here for quite a while, and we do have to acknowledge the fact that it does give them a real competitive advantage inside of their own ecosystem because they control this, right? They have first access to all of this data. Oh, clearly. And, and so, whenever you're talking about third party, remember, if you are actually one of the people or one of the parties that actually dominates these these vertical ecosystems you're not a third party. So you immediately have a massive data and informational advantage over everybody else who's inside of that ecosystem. So um, uh, just to, to translate this into uh, less careful language, uh, Michael, <laughs> uh, Apple is uh, staking a claim about being the privacy friendly smartphone and the privacy friendly hardware and software ecosystem, uh, which is true, but what they're not necessarily saying uh, clary, in such a clarion call way is it's also uh, manifestly to their business interest and advantage to to be that because they have their that means they have the first party data. So there's a, a not so secret benefit to yeah. the way they're doing that. And so if you know, uh, yeah. third party cookies are identifiers, right? There are other identifiers at the operate at the hardware and op in, um, operating system level as well. And remember, if you're Apple, you actually have, if you're Apple, you're running, you have identifiers in all three of those, those levels. Because uh, you own the hardware, you own the operating system, and you own the browser or the application running on top of the operating system. So that's incredibly powerful. That is also part of Apple's premium brand strategy across all their platforms. It's, it's not a secret that this is, this is partially how they play in almost every market that they're actually depending on. I mean, Apple is a premium brand and they use this to actually, um, just to go back to my earlier comments, they use this very much to uh, give their fabulous um, user experience. Uh, that's part of like the core of how they actually do this. This is, uh, this is not an accident, this is high strategy. So 
Okay, so we have uh, Apple leading Firefox, Fast Follower, Google's Chromium blog coming in January. It's, uh, you know, lions and lambs sleeping together. It's the end of uh, the third party cookie as we know it. Uh, and uh, a, a coalition emerges uh, at the IAB's annual leadership meeting in February. Jordan, you were part of the group that initiated the presentation of this. Michael, you were there as well, as was I. Uh, and, and this is Project REARC. Oh, what the hell's Project REARC? Explain this, please. Like, what is it? Uh, and is this something that we can sort of safely leave to the technical people? Or if you're a business leader, if you're a CRO, if you're a CMO, you know, how much attention should you be paying to this? So Jordan, let's start with you and then Michael will turn to you. I think it's a, it's a, it's a recognition and then a call of three things and then a call to action. Recognition that um, uh, we, the, the internet was built on open standards and these open standards uh, resulted in including cookies as an open standard resulted in all the innovation that that we've all benefited from as consumers over the last um, uh, uh, 26 years uh, and and it's also all of the core our, all of our systems are built on these open standards they have it as the foundation uh, uh, for for all of this so uh, it, it, it impacts deeply when uh, Apple and then now others are actually fracturing the open standards. Think of it as not now um, someone's messing with Bluetooth or Wi-Fi um, oh. and breaking those open standards. So this is the first time we're seeing this and it's now at scale. And a third recognition is that this is between consumers and the brands that they, they trust now. So with that in mind, uh, with it in mind, we announced Project REARC as a call to action where we need to pull together all the stakeholders in our industry globally and really look at how do we re-architect digital marketing, how do we rethink digital marketing with alternatives to these, these uh, uh, open standards um, that continue open standards, continue the benefits of interoperability. Um, if done right, standards are a baseline for all the innovation that occurs on top of them. Um, and so we need to reset those open standards, reset that bar that continues to, to build this open web that we've all uh, benefited from with some core foundations of consumer transparency, choice, and control across all their experiences. That reinforcement of it's between, it's, it's between me and the brands that I trust as a consumer. Um, uh, also building a new foundation of industry accountability uh, and trust. So there's a lot of open questions here and how we go forward and do that. That's why we need everybody on hand to put our heads together, the business folks, the policy folks, the tech folks. We all need to work together on this. Just before, Michael, we go to you, let me just add, do a public service announcement, which is uh, last week on Thursday and then again tomorrow, uh, the IAB Tech Lab did a hour-long webinar, which Jordan led, mm -hmm. uh, which uh, I think 700 people more or possibly more attended. It's happening again tomorrow. Uh, you need to register in order to yeah. come. You can register on iab.com. We'll get to what you're going to be covering uh, tomorrow in a little while. But for those of you who, uh, who are interested in this, there's an opportunity to uh, really dig in and learn much more uh, about why this is important, what you can do uh, in order to save, uh, save your business, uh, you know, tomorrow morning, or excuse me, tomorrow at noon 
I believe. What, well, we'll find out what time it is. Michael, um, uh, over to you. What uh, about Project We Are? So I want to make, I make uh, two points. Uh, the first one is I want to follow up Jordan's point about open, um, you know, uh, open ecosystems. You know, um, and the fact is that open standards um, uh, really are conducive to innovation. Uh, when you have multiple parties be able to contribute onto the same platform, you often see new products, uh, new ways of using existing technologies. Um, they tend to, to evolve in a very uh, fast and uh, uh, ecosystem-wide but beneficial manner. Um, so one of the things I really want to harp on with, um, with, with, with Jordan's point there is that the open standards is really important if we want to keep uh, you know, the experience of the internet in general and, and also of, of, of media advertising in particular uh, moving forward. Uh, you know, one of the things that's uh, uh, really important is that we get new ways of experiencing, um, you know, uh, media. And, and this is probably really important. I want to stress that because, uh, you know, that's often on the conversation. But yeah, this is really important to innovation going forward. You can't have scale without an open an open platform. And competition is also conducive to people trying new things. If you have your own ecosystem, your own vertical, it's much less uh, inviting to take risks on trying new uh, things that may possibly fail. Um, so, exactly. Uh, That's why we're not on Prodigy and CompuServe anymore. Yes, yes. yes. Uh, <laughs> and the other thing, uh, the question about leaving it to the tech people. And I think this is really important as somebody who serves on the tech lab board, it can't be left to just the tech people. The tech people can help with standards. We can help uh, uh, interact with the W3C's web, web advertising um, working groups, and we can help with the ICANN and, and the other standards bodies. But advertising happens in different markets in different ways with different regulations and different legal regimes and dif different social and economic realities. And so I think one of the great things about the IME Tech Lab is that although the Tech Lab itself has a global remit with participants from all over the world, uh, they have to work hand in hand with the local IEBs and other industry level mm -hmm. um, uh, you know, associations and organizations uh, to make sure that what we work on or a subset of the standards that, that we help support uh, work in a way, uh, work in multiple different possible uh, uh, regimes depending on what the market is. And so uh, it can't be left to just tech people. It has to be left to business stakeholders, to regulatory stakeholders. They have to be involved at the market or regional level um, to help with, with steering this as well. Because the tech lab is gonna need to know uh, where do we need to invest and, and like what should our priorities be? And I think this is one of the reasons why, yep. uh, candidly, why we're doing this uh, this broadcast today. And we are, uh, so even if you don't like, you know, if you don't want to dig in on the on the bites and the bits, uh, we still need to, we still want to have these conversations because uh, um, it's really important uh, to help us understand uh, how we need to prioritize our work going forward. So we have this a couple of questions. Uh, sorry, Jordan, you said, oh, this will impact every one of us. Uh, we have a couple of questions. Uh, Harold Geller asks, does the death of the cookie signal the larger adoption of opt-in mechanisms? Either of you want to take that one? Uh, I can. I think that uh, it seems that while different reg regulatory uh, environments that there are, um, you know, I mean, it is opt-in in Europe, clearly. 
outside of Europe uh, that may be coming, but what the browser privacy advocates are doing is they're eliminating third-party cookies so that the, private, the, the engineers are moving outside and around the, the, the regulatory uh, environment. So I see it as uh, the, the privacy engineers are moving much faster than regulation is at this point. They're forcing huh. these conversations very clearly. We have another question uh, from Ben Siegel, who says, great conversation. Thank you, Ben. He asks, of the various cookie list targeting approaches that are being discussed, which do you feel is most promising? Michael, do you want to take a whack at that one? Um, it's still quite unclear, honestly. I'm not going to give a straight opinion here because I'm not going to stake myself to, to uh, a nation of sand. It's um, not, you're, you're not getting it tattooed on your I'm arm, don't worry. <laughs> REARC is still in an early phase, um, and we are still having very active conversations, both with the, with the Chromium team uh, on W3C, but also uh, we're still actually getting, uh, we're very much still in the feedback and ideation phase as well. Um, and, and, and things, you know, as we're all experiencing right now around the world, things are very much in flux. So um, I'm gonna say that there are several very good ideas out there, but I'm not gonna stick myself onto any one of those. Uh, Jordan, do you want to do you want to take a bolder stance there? Uh, yeah, I do think some of the innovation we're seeing coming out of the browsers, the privacy sandbox. I do think some of those components. Um, I would personally expect to see some of those components going forward, um, and because they do represent uh, big opportunities, um, I do think that there is targeting opportunities that we have as well where that can exist outside of, uh, of the browser. And I like a lot of the, the thinking around um, uh, different ways to connect something that I provide to an advertiser I trust and something I provide to a publisher and saying, I want you guys to connect because I want to see your ads on this website. I, I, wanna, I, I like some of the innovation we're talking around there. We have a lot more work to do. Yeah, I will add one thing. Uh, there's, there's some conversations going on right now um, around data, data sovereignty, uh, the vision on the, on the ability for individuals to actually govern um, how the data, if the data leaves their device and if it's on your device, how it's used. Uh, and, and those conversations, I would say, are, are, are quite interesting to me because I think that those, uh, they're a group of solutions and they give a malleability to not only the regulatory environment, individual markets, but also to individual users' preferences um, and their, uh, how they would actually want to associate uh, not only with publishers, but also possibly across over, over the brands directly. And that is quite interesting. From the consumer researcher point of view, uh, one thing I'll be watching quite carefully is whether or not there's an appetite on the user side to do this. This U.S. is a country uh, full yeah. of people who had 12-12-12 blinking on their VCRs back in the day. And so the extent to which anybody uh, is going to do this is something that uh, is an assumption. Uh, it'll be very, I'll be very curious to see how that data uh, comes around. Um, Jordan, Tomorrow, you're back on stage with a webinar part two. So why don't you give us the high level, we only have a moment, uh, but tell us, tell us what it's about, tell us what you're gonna be covering, and when is it? Is it at what time during the day tomorrow, uh, Eastern time? It is noon Eastern time. Uh, last week's webinar was immensely uh, popular because it went, it wasn't techie. It went into, okay, how did we get to where we are uh, today with cookies. A little bit of the history, 
<clears throat> and then um, through like sort of a evolution of our industry. And then it goes into, okay, here's where we are in that evolutionary chain. And here's how we come together to build uh, uh, new standards for privacy by default uh, advertising. Um, and, it, and it goes into why are we announcing REARC? And what do we do now? And how you can be involved. We need everyone involved. Um, and, and, we, and that's where we end up is like, here's how you can be involved. And here's what the net, how we go through this as a process together. So I think it's fair to say, but I'd like to hear you say out loud that this isn't just a history lesson that after spending an hour in this webinar, participants are going to walk out with a robust sense of what the issue is, what they can do next, and how they can add value to this process. Is that fair? That's absolutely right. It's, it's really 20 to 25 minutes of history, but I think that, that, that history is important because it's, uh, um, it helps people understand that this is foundational. Like we have all of our systems and our processes built on some of these key dependencies. Well, now what do we do? And, um, and really it, it, it reaffirms that, that call to action. Like we all have a piece in this. How do we all come together um, to inform the next evolution of, of tech standards here? So for those of you listening at home, again, uh, iab.com is where you can register to join the webinar tomorrow. I urge everyone to do so. Uh, last question, sort of a traditional question. It's only been, this is only our sixth episode, so most traditions aren't that deeply baked, but we are in an extraordinarily unusual time, uh, possibly the greatest disruption that I've seen in my lifetime. So uh, Michael, what are you doing to stay optimistic and connected and, and sane? Uh, when you're trapped in your apartment uh, in Manhattan, what what, what give, give us a concrete thing that you do every day? Um, well, I mean, I'm uh, I'm actually finishing an online class at MIT right now, so that's been a bit of a distraction. And then, um, I mean, it's behind me right here. I'm teaching myself how to learn guitar, so it's not going great, but I've got plenty of time. <laughs> Jordan, what about you? What are you up to? Uh, well, I, I I have a lot of this work that, that, that we're leading here that, that keeps me very busy, but I am spending as much time outside and with fresh air as, as I can, and I'm fortunate to live in an area that has open spaces. Uh, so that's that's what's helping to keep me sane. Um, I'm, I'm cooking every night and I'm enjoying time with family um, and getting outside and getting fresh air uh, safe from safe distances to others. Um, the thing I say every time I want to say again, which is, I think this is hitting the people who live alone hardest over everybody else. And so if you have friends who live alone, call them, uh, call them, video chat with them. My wife and I had a, a lovely virtual cocktail with some friends of ours on Friday night. Uh, it doesn't take that long to set up. Uh, Zoom is free as are, uh, you know, WebEx and, uh, and others. Um, and uh, it's a great way to stay connected. So uh, Michael Palmer, Jordan Mitchell, thank you both for coming on IAB There. I'm going to do the credits now. IAB There is a production of the Interactive Advertising Bureau, the IAB. Our show today was produced by Connor Healy, Joe Ants, and John Ward. Tomorrow we'll be welcoming David Moore of Brightpool. Thank you all for joining us. We look forward to seeing you again tomorrow on IAB There. Bye-bye, everybody. Thank you all so much.